situation. He took a pitch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Germans bomb Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my winner. There is a growing problem that is not being resolved when it comes to the National Football League. And uh, I've come up with a solution of exactly what needs to be done to resolve it. You're looking at a sport that has almost 70% of its players of darker skin, African-American, black, whatever you want to call it. And there is basically no dark skin coaches in the National Football League. And if you look at what just happened with the Carolina Panthers... The assumption was that Steve Wilkes was going to get the opportunity to be the full-time coach of the Carolina Panthers if he, resi- if he gave some sort of a normalcy put back into the football team. And he finished 6-6 six and six during his time. He still didn't get that chance. They went with Frank Reich. And I don't want this to at all be about Frank Reich because I thought he was... Um, unfavorably let go with the Indianapolis Colts. I don't think he belongs to not have a job in the National Football League at this time. But if you look at the growing problem, it's owners in the National Football League that don't seem to have an interest in hiring black head coaches. And my thought about this for a while has been if they're not going to do it on their own, it's time to force them to do it. And what needs to happen in the National Football League, and I know white America is going to get pretty pissed at me for saying this, is the National Football League has to put something in and say, hey, for the next five years or the next 10 years, if you're hiring a head coach for your team, it has to be a person of darker skin. It has, You have to hire a black head coach. This way, we're not you know, getting any semantic value of token interviews or any of the other bullshit that you're seeing with uh, faces being brought in for an interview just to check off on the list that you... You you interviewed one minority candidate. You order you you got you interviewed one black candidate. You partially did what you were supposed to, and then you essentially hire the person that you want to anyway. And yeah, this is this is such an issue. And I, I'm trying to figure out where um, the brushback is on this, or why it has become such a big deal, because you you realize what we've gotten into. You know, racism as far as being accepted in any form or any level has changed from the 1950s. It's changed from the Jim Crow days of the 1960s. Those, those days don't exist here in America anymore. Yet, when it comes to being a black head coach in the National Football League, the NFL, and I'm putting this partially on the commissioner, has not made enough progress to make this a regular uh, occurrence. Now, D'Amico Ryans will probably get the job with the Houston Texans as their head coach. He'll be their third black coach hired in three years. The first two black coaches got exactly one season. Steve Wilkes got one season in Arizona with the Cardinals and was fired. Got 12 games with the uh, Carolina Panthers before he was not retained. And obviously, you got the Brian Flores situation of, you know, kind of why was he let go with the Miami Dolphins when he had kind of put that program back where it needed to be. 
So here's what has to happen. The NFL has to say for the next five years, if you're hiring a head coach in the National Football League, you know, F all the white candidates, F everybody that doesn't have dark colored skin. Those are the only coaches you could choose from. And guess what? When teams get tired of their head coach, which they're going to do, they have a decision to make. They have a decision. If they want to hold off and have some lame-ass bad coach putting up bad numbers and bad results over the course of the next five years, or do they want to replace him with a darker-skinned candidate? That needs to happen. And there's no other solution. Forget about the Rooney Rule. Forget about all these different modifications that we're trying to make to it, to make it a little better, to give people, um, in your mind, like I said, from a semantic value, to feel a little better, like they're getting more consideration because they're not. There are owners in the National Football League that have a hard time giving any sort of power to a person of darker color skin. They don't mind if they're playing for them. They've accepted that. You know, they they've got it back back to the days of Jackie Robinson to say, hey, you know, some of the athletes are superior. We want them on our team and we want them to win. But when it comes to somebody to have any sort of autonomy, when it comes to a field. When it comes to even even a bigger level, um, a general manager, you know, you're seeing more general managers being hired that are that are darker skinned in the National Football League than coaches, which you know blows my mind. So if you're firing your coach this year or next year or any of the next five years, you could only replace them with a with a black head coach. That's it. That's what you got to do. You know what? If the owners are not going to do it on their own, if they're not going to be led to the understanding of what needs to happen and the fact that there needs to be more diversity in the coaching ranks, they have to be forced into it. And you know what? If they don't like it, they could sell their friggin' team. Yeah, because this has been unacceptable for a while. There shouldn't be a sport that's so dominated by black players that do not have any more than like 1% to 3% of black head coaches. The NBA gets it. Every team in the NBA has had multiple black head coaches. The NFL still has less than 10 teams that have never had one in the history of their franchise. Baseball has still had uh, 10 teams that have never hired a black manager in the history of their franchise. And you go back and you remember Jackie Robinson 10 days before his death in 1972 at Crossley Field saying he'd be, he'd be a happier man. If he knew that there was a dark face in that third base coaching box and more managers at that time coached third base or at least on a uh, part-time basis, and we, we knew loud and clear what he meant. It wasn't until, what, 1976, four years after Jackie's death, that Frank Robinson, obviously no relation, one of the greatest offensive position players to play in baseball history, became the first black manager. The NFL's got to do a better job. And, you know, white America is going to be pissed off if this happens. They don't want that. They want to feel like they have their puppet control over things in regards to race. It's not about you anymore. It's about the problem in the NFL and the refusal of the NFL owners to comply. They're not going to do it by themselves. They need to be forced into it. That's it. End of story. So when it comes to the Baseball Hall of Fame, you've heard me bitch and rant about the negligence of the baseball writers, the Veterans Committee, most importantly, Bud Selig and Jane Forbes Clark, 
who I've called out on mo multiple occasions. They've used their power to dictate who gets in a Hall of Fame and who doesn't. And you cannot tell the, the history of baseball without including every one of its great players. And great players, whether you liked them or not, whether they liked you or not. I told you about Kurt Schilling. You know, you've heard me speak about Jeff Kent. You know, they don't get proper consideration because the writers don't like them and they don't like the writers. They didn't speak to the media. There's no other sport that does that. I mean, Terrell Owens, for crying out loud, didn't didn't show up to the to the pro football enshrinement ceremony. He's still a Hall of Famer. So I think what has to happen when it comes to baseball is there has to be an understanding and a correlation of the great players that are being held out. And I'm talking about Barry Bonds. I'm talking about Roger Clemens, Rafael Palmaro, Pete Rose, Joe Jackson, Sammy Sosa, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield. And the names will go on and on and on. All of those who are put into this umbrella as far as being uh, mentally ineligible and basically stricken from what is considered baseball's highest honor. You cannot tell the history of baseball without naming those players. And if you try not to, that just speaks to your own bitterness and uh, a you know, negative approach where you're just saying, hey, because I don't like them, they shouldn't be in a Hall of Fame. That's not what the Hall of Fame is about. The Hall of Fame in all sports are centered around people that are unlikable. Because being liked is not what gets you into the Hall of Fame. It's being great. It's being dominant at the very sport that you play. There are some of the worst human beings that are in sports Hall of Fames. And it's not because it's the Hall of Character or the Hall of if the general public or the friggin' writers like you. That's not what it's about. It's about honoring the greatest to ever play the game. And what you're seeing right now in baseball is the best players of an entire generation being held out. And on the other side, other players that were just very good or good or have good reputations when it comes to the media are slowly getting in. So people want to blame Harold Baines for being a Hall of Famer. Now, I'm blaming the baseball writers and the Veterans Committee for blackballing Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Pete Rose and Joe Jackson and Raphael Palmaro and the like, leading to lesser players having campaigns being made and their cases being examined a little more closely. Now, it's good for baseball. Scott Rowland was a very good player. Scott Rowland, to me, I, I don't look at him on the same level as Barry Bonds. Now, it's probably not fair to Scott Rowland. It's not fair to Scott Rowland that Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame as he should be. And because of that, I have to compare Scott Rowland to Barry Bonds. He's not Barry Bonds. He was a good defensive third baseman. He won a World Series. Um, he was a solid player for many years. Was he on Raphael Palmaro's level? No. Was he on Pete Rose's level? Well, you could say it's probably closer. Pete Rose benefited from the compilation of his stats and being the all-time hit king. You know, he was never the best player in the league. So maybe if you're talking about Scott Rowland and trying to make more of a comparison to somebody that should be in a Hall of Fame and isn't, Pete Rose is probably a better comparison. There's nobody here that's ever going to knock somebody that is in the Hall of Fame. That's why I give credit to Rabbit Marinville and 
Alfred Red Shandies, and many others of the like that had good careers, but not great careers. And you're going to see this happen more often. There's going to be cases for players that are borderline at best, and in some cases, very good players that you're like, hey, if we had a whole of very good, we would put this group of players in under a separate tier. But what you're seeing in the longer that the best players of the quote-unquote steroids era in particular are held out, you're going to see more marginal players get in. More good to very good players get in. And like I said, I'm not here to shoot down anybody that is in the Hall of Fame because every player has earned it on their own merits. But the Baseball Hall of Fame is different from the other sports because baseball hall, the Baseball Hall of Fame has allowed more politics and side issues and bullshit impact the greatness of the very players that it's supposed to honor. Pro football doesn't have a problem with it. The National Basketball Association doesn't have a problem with it. The best players of a given time are all in its Hall of Fame, except for baseball. So expect this going forward. Expect the Hall of Fame of baseball to be watered down a lot more the longer the greatest of the steroids era generation don't get honored. And by the way, I have to throw this in there too. You're talking about players that played in that very generation that get a free pass. Nobody's criticizing or taking any shots at Frank Thomas or Ken Griffey Jr. Because they played in that same generation. Derek Jeter played in that same generation. Mariano Rivera played in that same generation. Pedro Martinez, David Ortiz played in that same generation. Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz played in that same steroids era. But we like to pick and choose the people that we like more, that are more likable, that are more uh, approachable by the baseball writers. Jane Forbes Clark and Bud Selig like all them. So there's never going to be any investigation over whether they used performance-enhancing drugs. They could have. They could have used it. Cal Ripken, you know, used amphetamines. There's no way he would have had the longest streak of consecutive games played in baseball history if he didn't have the power of amphetamines. And we know about Ted Williams and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays and the like of all those players that played during that time that had the benefits to use amphetamines. But amphetamines are banned from baseball now. You cannot use them right now without a, a doctor's note per se. So those players are treated as if they're cheats if they play it in a game today. But once again, it's not about any of that. It isn't even about the use of steroids. It's about whether the players are liked by the writers, by the Veterans Committee, by Bud Selig and James Forbes Clark. And I think it's, a, it's an embarrassment to the sport. But what you're going to see, the longer these players get held out, the more marginal to good to very good players are going to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame and water this thing down to a point where it's going to become laughable. You know, you're going to have 10 to 12 really good seasons in this era, and you're going to be put in a Hall of Fame ahead of Barry Bonds, which, by the way, is the most egregious omission of a Hall of Fame player in any sport. So we're going to finish the show today by talking a little bit about this day in sports history. Uh, today in 1949, this, the uh, Giants, the New York Giants, who are still the New York Giants up until 1957, signed Monty Irvin and Ford Smith, the first black players to sign with 
the Giants. Of course, Monty Irvin would make his major league debut that very season. Roy Campanella in 1958 was paralyzed in a car accident, which ended his career. Um, I got him ranked as the 66th on my top 100 offensive position players of all time. Uh, Campanella, great two-way catcher for the Dodgers. Probably could have played a, a lo- little bit longer. Three-time MVP. Very sad day in 1958. 1960, the National Football League added the Dallas Cowboys for the 1960 season and the Minnesota Vikings for the 1961 season. In 1968, Goose Goslin, who I have ranked as number 97 on the top 100 offensive position players of all time, and Kiki Kyler were selected into the Baseball Hall of Fame. 1969, the NF- in the NFL, the first pick of the draft, was none other than Arenthal James Simpson by the Buffalo Bills. The Juice was one of the greatest running backs in the history of the National Football League. And by the way, when we're talking about um, crime per se, which was probably worse than using performance-enhancing drugs, there's never been a case made to put O.J. Simpson out of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which, by the way, I would never agree with. I think that would be an asinine suggestion. But I got to think, if O.J. Simpson played Major League Baseball, Bud Selig and Jane Forbes Clark would try to kick him out of the Hall of Fame. That's just the way they roll. They don't want the greatest players in baseball in the Hall of Fame. They just want the greatest group of kiss-asses and people that were nice to them and they liked. Jim Plunkett, 1971, first overall pick on this day by the New England Patriots. 1974, Sam Thompson, an offensive outfielder with the Philadelphia Phillies in the 1800s, was number 65 on my top 100 offensive position players of all time, was selected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. 1980, Red Holzman gets a 600th win as the coach of the New York Knicks, the second coach in the history of the NBA to get 600 wins after Red Arbach. On the same day in 1985, Hall of Fame coach Bill Fitch got his 600th win as an NBA head coach. He became the sixth member of the 600-win club. Some Super Bowls, 1990 on this day, Super Bowl 24. The San Francisco 49ers beat the Denver Broncos 55-10. to 10. On this day in 1996, Super Bowl 30, the Dallas Cowboys beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 27-17. On this day in 2001, it was the Baltimore Ravens in Super Bowl 35 beating the New York Giants 34-7. And 1991, Red Grange, the great galloping ghost, one of the best players in the history of the National Football League, died at the age of 87. We also lost in 2020, three years ago to today, Pro Football Hall of Famer Chris Dolman. Andre Iguodala, four-time NBA champion, turns 39 today. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Just a reminder, you can catch the Passball Show on YouTube. We're going to do some more shorts. Uh, we're going to take a little, a couple sections out to so you can hear my uh, content in a little more of a short form. Um, you can also listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books, my apartment's 
amounts of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the friggin' World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park, I was supposed to be here today. Especially prospect whores and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. I'm a dude who plays a dude disguises another dude. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside to hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if, if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs, decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right, better give him a contract extension. You damn well right, better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>